You're listening to Syntax, the podcast with the tastiest web development treats out there. Strap yourself in and get ready. Here is Scott Talensky and Wes Boss. Welcome to Syntax, the web development podcast with the tastiest treats around. With me, as always, is Wes Boss. Hello. Hey, Wes. My name is Scott Talinsky, and today we're going to be talking all about nine of our favorite top 18 new JavaScript features. Basically, we have a top 18 list of new JavaScript features that we absolutely love, use all the time, and we're going to be splitting it up into two episodes because this is too tasty for one episode. (laughs) It's just jam-packed. And we're going to have a sponsor between every single one, like one of those... Uh, you know, those like Forbes articles that you oh, have to click God. next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. joking. We're not going to do that. Or like a, like a 15 minute YouTube video where they like inserted like 15 ads. <laughs> you just got to yeah. get an ad every couple of seconds. No, thanks. We're not doing that. This episode is sponsored by two uh, very excellent sponsors. FreshBooks, which we all know is amazing cloud accounting software that Wes and I both love and use. And MLab, which is the perfect place to store your database in the cloud. It's another service that both Wes and I have been using for a long time. Just yeah, both really sponsors love. today are a longtime user and they also they came on a sponsor. So that's pretty cool. It's really cool. Yeah. So we'll be getting into FreshBooks and MLab a little bit more on in the episode. But yeah, uh, let's let's kick it off with a little bit of how you doing. It's uh, a Tuesday today. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Just got over a little bit of a cold. It might sound a little froggy or boomy to you today, but just got getting through that and pretty excited uh, that I've got like so much stuff that's almost done. I've got an intermediate React workshop that I've been cooking up for the last like week and a half. I've got a uh, talk on what's new in React that I'm going to be giving next week. So I've got a talk and a workshop in Toronto. And then I also am just uh, I'm having my my course reviewed by everybody right now, which is really exciting. There's a couple of people have gone through the whole thing, getting some really good feedback, just some small little edits, little hiccups, little things where I left myself like a, a like a false start, you know, like where oh, I yeah. try to explain something and then I go back. I, I left a couple of those in. Uh, so at that point, then it's done. So I'm like, I'm like right on the verge of finishing like my life's work for the last like eight <laughs> months. And I'm so excited to to get it all out and then to to move into some some new exciting stuff and, and for people to get access to the content that I've been working on for so long. Yeah, it's it's funny because no matter how many times you listen when you're editing, you miss some things like that. There, there's almost it's inevitable that you're going to miss stuff like that. And and I've edited now like two and a half thousand videos or something. And I still miss those things all the time. And I, I pay yeah. such close attention to what I'm editing. It's just so easy. Yeah, I don't it's know how so I, easy I, do I luckily didn't. I left the F-bomb in once, which is funny because like I, I don't swear a lot, but I was so frustrated once in a video and I was like, damn it. And uh, I let one fly and I, I left it in. And uh, luckily, someone who was cool caught it nice and early and I, I was able to cut it out. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned on another episode, I, I left a, a, a scream into my microphone when I had a guest editor. And yeah, he was pretty shocked. Uh, so it's always it's always good to uh, be careful about what you're uh, you're you're putting out there. Yeah. <laughs> so you just did a, a talk yesterday at uh, what startup Denver? It's uh, Denver Startup Week, which is awesome if you're in the Denver area or in Colorado in general, you should check out Denver Startup Week next year because by the time you're listening, this is going to be over. But it's an entire week of free conference talks. It's seriously Monday through Friday, full days, and it's all over the city. And there's like six different tracks. There's like an entrepreneurial, like a marketing, like a design track, a development track, uh, all sorts of stuff, right? 
And the fun thing is, is that this is all over the city. So it's not like you're just like sitting in a conference hall and just watching a bunch of talks like the the conference room that I talked at was the only talk of the entire day at that location. So it like forces you to spend time in all these different startups offices around Denver. So you're just walking around downtown, hitting up all these different places and getting to check out different offices, different situations, and, and just seeing a ton of good talks. And the best part, it's like totally free. So Denver Startup Week was just awesome. I had a, I talk about my uh, it was basically like the learning episode we did here on Syntax. And I met a lot of awesome Syntax listeners at Denver Startup Week. So shout out to all of you. Thank you for uh, checking out my talk. That's cool. I always love seeing people's offices and and kind of the the snacks and the like stuff that they have. We should actually ask if you work in an office and you have good snacks or something like that. Tweet a pic and at Syntax FM hashtag Syntax Snacks. And we want to see what your office snack hall looks like. Yeah, it's, I'm always jealous. I have a tiny little wine fridge that I put my LaCroix in and that's it. <laughs> that's such a good <laughs> use for a wine fridge. I didn't do one of those. Yeah. <laughs> I, I copped some trail mix that had some dried mango in it and stuff. It was kind of pretty, oh. pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. And this place had some good snacks. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Let's stop goofing around and get into this. Uh, we've got. Man, this is a huge list of of the top 18 things that are new in JS. So over the last, what, maybe two, two and a half years, obviously we've had ES6. That's where most of these things are coming from. But uh, JavaScript in general has has really evolved. And I think over the last, like, like, obviously they've been out for a couple of years, but we've been seeing like serious momentum in people picking up these features in the last, uh, I don't know, year, year and a half. So uh, really excited to to dive into all the different parts. So let's kick it off. You want to grab the first one there, Scott? Yeah, this is like maybe the most the good intro. It's the most basic sort of new feature in JavaScript recently, which is const and let, which are the new variable declarations that allow us to have some variables, in my opinion, that are just a little bit easier to control because they, they're sort of a little less overreaching in some ways. For instance, both const and let, they can't be redeclared. So you're going to see an error if you define a variable with let Scott is equal to, I don't know, a number. Maybe it's my age, right? And then if you try to define it again, you're going to run into trouble because you can't redeclare another variable. And const in particular can't have its value changed, as in you can't assign a variable with, uh, let's say, const Scott is equal to my age. And then you can't 42. Go, yeah, 42. That would be wild if I was 42. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, then you then you can't go ahead and then do Scott is then equal to something else. You can't do it. Uh, that said, uh, const isn't immutable, as in it's not going to like complain if you're mutating something like the array or the object or whatever. Uh, it just can't be rebound. So you can still change properties in it. You just can't or you just can't like rely on it as being like totally immutable. Yeah, that's it's sort of the confusion to people. And, and the example I always like to give is, if you make like const Wes is equal to an object, properties on Wes, like my name, my age, my hair color, my height, all of these properties are on Wes and they can be changed. But if another Wes was born, it would not be possible to wipe out my variable called Wes and replace it, right? So the, the binding to the object or the binding to the array cannot change, but the, the properties inside of that can change. And and when it's the case of like a, a string or a number or a Boolean, then it's just a value. And in that case, you can't change anything about it. One other thing we said about constant let is that they 
they are block scoped instead of being function scoped like var is. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting because var like function scope is also a block. A block is anytime you've got curly brackets or I like to think of them as little fences. Right. And they keep your variables in. That's a cute analogy. Yeah. Yeah. So any anytime that you have like a, a block, a if statement, uh, a for loop, uh, anything like that, if you declare the variable inside of that block, then you cannot reach it uh, outside of it. So because of that, sometimes you have to, outside of the block, declare a variable as let, and then you can go back and update that inside of the block. Uh, So it's kind of interesting. I think it it solves a lot of uh, accidental um, scope hoisting uh, with variables. And uh, I myself use, maybe we should talk about this, like what do you use in your everyday? I'm personally, I use cons by default, and then I use let only when I need to redeclare it. And I feel like that stops me from accidentally overriding it because I'm a, uh, a bit of an idiot when I do stuff and I can't think of variable names and I can yeah. accidentally overwrite it. Yeah, I always use const pretty much like I pretty much I'm trying to think of when I even use let. It's not very often, but if I do need something that's not a const, I will use let rather than var. I pretty much eliminated var from my vocabulary usage entirely at this point yeah and that's not to say that you should do that as well you do your own research and yeah i'm sure you can write perfectly fine there's a lot of people out there that say like var is dead it's a terrible it's like a like they go as far to say it's harmful it's a bad practice and like meanwhile we were writing perfectly fine applications before we had cotton let so yeah i trust you you're probably if you are still using var that's not bad you probably can can use it and be perfectly fine with with it. Yeah, I know. I, I would be weary of anybody with extreme views on anything like that, like never do this <laughs> or whatever. Just do your own research in that regard. Cool. So let's yeah. get into number two, which is actually I love this one because this is one of those features that makes your life easier in just a little bit of ways constantly. And this is template literals and template strings. And uh, this is basically through the use of backticks to allow you to insert variables into your strings via dollar sign curly bracket than your variable name bracket, uh, as opposed to having to have one string, a plus sign, another string, a plus sign. And one of these things that this kind of low key fixes is the, you know, sometimes when you had a variable and then you had a space, like a string space, and then another variable, you had to do like a plus and then an open string with a space and then a plus, like this just saves so much of that by allowing you to use your variables directly into your script. And this is one of those things that like when it was in CoffeeScript, I remember being like, I love this feature. And then obviously now that it's in JavaScript, I can't can't not use it enough. I can't believe how handy this feature is for myself because concatenation was always so hard just because you have to open and close your quotes. And uh, another upside to backticks is that you almost never actually have to type a backtick. Whereas if you use single quotes, sometimes you need a single quote inside of that and you got to you got to like escape it or vice versa with the double quotes. I've met some people that only use backticks i i haven't gone there i'm not sure why i haven't gone there i, I don't like think that, that there's any i like i like linters that change all of your your quotes to backticks i like that yeah maybe i should i should uh take a look at that the reason why we love this so much is because the concatenation operator the plus operator is so loaded because it's for concatenating strings but it's also for adding numbers yeah. together it's yeah. the same thing 
So that's a little bit weird. I'm a big fan of, of having to do that. And the other thing that we have is a tagged template literal. So uh, along with using template literals, which is backticks, you can also put a, you can also tag it, which is, is kind of like a function. The way that it will work is that style components uses this. So you can say like style.div and then backticks. And uh, the style.div is kind of like the function name. And what that allows you to do is you can define a function. And when that runs, it's going to give you the entire template string and all of the pieces, as well as all the variables that were given to you. So if you wanted to not just interpolate your, your variables directly, but you wanted to perform some sort of I don't know, special work on them, like creating a styled component, then you could totally do that. I th I don't use that all that often, but I, I have seen some some clever use cases of it, especially in style components. Yeah. Yeah. Style components was the first time I saw that technique. And I remember being like, oh, this is kind of cool. And again, I don't necessarily write that much code that uses it that myself, other than the things in style components or libraries that are using it. But it is a really neat feature. I also just realized I had a little bit of a... Uh, operational, uh, if you could call it that issue, I said, I can't not use it enough, which I guess is like two, <laughs> two double, like if this was JavaScript, I'd have to write that out. I, I can't use it enough. I was just, I was just trying to be clever and I ended up, um, shooting myself in the operational foot. <laughs> uh, one other thing I want to, while we're talking about quotes here is, uh, there's this toggle quotes extension that I use for VS code and it will toggle you between, uh, single quotes, double quotes, and back ticks. And you just set up a little, uh, you set up a little keyboard shortcut for it and it will just kind of cycle you through all of those. So I use that all the time, especially when you have a single quote and you go, oh, I need to interpolate something here. Now I have to switch it back to back ticks from single quotes, which is maybe a, an argument for just always using back ticks. But yeah. I use this little keyboard shortcut all the time. You know, I just love my... Um I love that when my linter fixes it all for me, because sometimes it's even faster to just write like if you're just concatenating one at the end, like yeah. just variable plus and then your variable and then you click save and then it automatically puts it interpolated like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, prettier. So prettier does that. If you have prettier, prettier turned by on, by I, I was never sure if it's ES lint or prettier that's doing some things for me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Prettier is awesome for that because I, I agree. Sometimes it's faster just to quickly concatenate something on the end of a string and then just save it and then it will convert it for you. I, that's funny that I do the exact same thing. All right. Let's see. Number three is object destructuring. And this one gets a lot of use uh, for me, particularly in my front end React code. Uh, but pretty much any time I'm doing any sort of I don't know, any sort of work with objects, which is very frequently, and even through use of, of passing in name parameters, which we'll get into, I think, down the line here. Uh, but really, object destructuring is basically, uh, I like to think of it as you have an object and you're pulling things out of the object without having to you don't have to you don't have to redeclare i mean you're you're essentially declaring a variable so basically here's the syntax let's say we have an object which is hosts inside of that there's a property scott and a property wes right and we wanted to pull out scott in particular from that object you could do const curly brackets and inside of those curly brackets scott is equal to and then hosts and this is going to save you from doing scott is e or const scott is equal to hosts dot scott or something like that it basically allows you to pull out properties from your object in a really nice concise 
syntax. Uh, and, and again, it just gets so much use for me because you end up, uh, your code ends up just being so much more readable if you're looking at Scott dot whatever the properties are rather than hosts dot Scott, whatever. It cleans up your, your code just a little bit. It makes things a little bit more explicit and in my mind, just a little bit more clean. Yeah. Having top level variables instead of an object where you have a property inside of it is often really clean for templating. So Mm -hmm. I'll often have a function that returns an object and I need to pull like it returns a person uh, and on that you have a name and age and a height and you only want to pull the name and the age. You can just say const name comma age equals uh, get person. And because that get person function returns an object, you can just immediately destructure the result of that into their own top level variables. And while we're on that as well, often I'll have a uh, an Ajax function uh, that's like get hosts. And what the, what that will return, Axios does this, they return you a data, right? And I hate having like a variable called oh, yeah. data. Yeah. So no you could, if you I think it's like a response dot data is is what you have. So first of all, I want to I don't care about the response. I just want the data so you can destructure data into a top level variable. But then again, data is not a great variable name. So you can also when you're destructuring something, you can rename it at the same time. So we say cons curly brackets data colon names equals get hosts. It's a little bit much to like look at the syntax for this because it's there's a lot going on there. But if you really break it down, you can, OK. This is a function that returns an object. Uh, this is destructuring data, and then I'm I'm just renaming it immediately into a variable called names. Because often, like if you try to destructure something into a variable name that is already in scope, then you have a problem because you are are, are overwriting it, or you you run into an issue where you have the same variable name uh, in a different scope. Yeah. And that's that's not that's going to be confusing, right? I have an ESLint rule that makes sure I don't do that. Yeah, I know. And that could be like for me personally, when I use Apollo, that uh, your data comes in as data, right? And if you have two yeah. multiple queries or data coming in from two different places, they're intersecting there. That's definitely a big time uh, way to rename things. Or I, I do, I use this a lot in, I mean, I use destructuring all the time to pull out the properties in, from this.props, right? So you don't have to write this dot props or from state. So you don't have to write this dot state in react, all that yep. sort of stuff. I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan. And I'm also a huge, huge fan of one of our sponsors today, which is FreshBooks. <laughs> uh, FreshBooks <laughs> makes cloud accounting software just so incredibly easy. And they have some of the world's best customer support. It's, it's one of those things that people just talk about because of how good it is. Yeah, so freshbooks.com forward slash syntax is where you're going to want to go to sign up for a free trial. I think it's a 30 day unrestricted free trial. And this is something that you need if you are sending an invoice, if you're trying to keep track of expenses for anyone, whether you are a small business, you got a couple employees, whether you are a freelancer or you're someone that's just doing a couple little side jobs and you need to keep track of it because we all know how stressful that is at the end of the year when you need to do your taxes and you know that you've had income from a couple different sources, but you don't necessarily have invoices for them, or maybe your invoices were done in Microsoft Excel and you can't really find them. FreshBooks will keep that all on the up and up, nice and clear. You know, always it's it's kind of neat because like at the end of the last time we recorded this, Scott and I went into my FreshBooks because I do a lot of the billing for the sponsors and we just kind of went through them all and said, okay, who's paid, who hasn't paid, 
what do we have? Uh, and then I sent Scott over, or sorry, Scott sent me over an invoice uh, so we can split the the income from our sponsors. So if you are looking to do any sort of invoicing, billing, expenses, check out FreshBooks and make sure you enter in syntax in the how did you hear about us section. Nice. Nice. Yes. Nice. I got one more thing about object destructuring here. Oh, man, um, and that is providing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. That you had a smooth transition, so we can't we can't get in your, your way when you've got those. The fallback values. So when you destructure something, it's possible that value will come back as undefined. And if that's true, you can always set a fallback value uh, in there. And this is kind of similar to um, default function arguments, but this is in destructuring. So you don't have to have an if statement where you check if there's nothing in there and then you set it to the default. You can simply just let's say const curly bracket data. And then inside of that, you can say like the data equals and, and set that to your fallback value. I don't go too deep with this just because it gets hairy really quickly mm -hmm. with lots of like you can do fallback values multiple levels. But at that point, it's too hard for someone, myself included, to get up to speed on what's actually going there. And I think you're just trying to show off at that point. Yeah. So I, uh, I I tend to just like prefer um if it's more than one or two levels, I'll prefer a more explicit if statement that sets some fallbacks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this is one of those things that can save your butt a whole bunch, at least along with sort of the the default parameter values or default arguments. It just it makes it makes your code just way less verbose sometimes because you don't all that like variable checking and stuff like that you were doing before. It just goes out the window. And to me, I, it makes me write uh, less bucky code, uh, le code that runs into less issues. Uh, but again, you, mm -hmm. you do want to be cognizant all the time of what you're doing in that regard. OK, number four here. Our numbers are so messed up here. What is going on? <laughs> <laughs> we use Dropbox paper and it cannot figure out. It goes, do yeah, it goes one, two, three, five, one, two, three. Okay. Uh, so number four <laughs> here uh, is going to be array destructuring. And this is uh, pulling out values from an array. Uh, it's basically Based the same on their thing. index, right? Yeah. 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 I don't know how much I end up using this, to be honest. I use it occasionally, but I don't feel like it's one of those things like object destructuring that I'm using all of the time. And maybe that's just because I'm dealing with maybe more object-based stuff. I'm not quite sure. But I, I don't find myself using this. This is useful if you want to say, like, let me just get the very first item out of the array or something like that, or let me pull out the first two items and then uh, along with the use of the spread operator, which we'll get into, you know, maybe you can do something with the, the rest of them. But for me, I don't know. What sort of ways do you find yourself using this one? It's basically, again, it's just being able to pull out the items via their index. Yeah, I, I use this a lot when... I only care about the first item. I'll give you an example. In my advanced React course, we have two queries, item and items. And the item query can only be used with unique values, which is the ID of the item. But if I have a query where I want to find something else based on maybe it's slug, based on its price, based on the title, uh, and I know that if I want to be able to query that, I can't query it based on the single item because there's a possibility that there'll be the multiple matches and the query just doesn't support that. So I need to use a query that will is items with an S and that will return almost always. And in my case, I knew that it would always return to me an array of one thing. Or if it returned multiple items, I just wanted the first one. Mm -hmm. So I'll often say const 
square bracket item equals, and then you write your query, and then that will immediately take the first item that is in the returned array and throw it into a variable called item. So I thought that's that's pretty much where I use it. And the other option that I'll use it is with um, the rest, which we're going to be talking about what the rest is. That's that three little dots that you often see. That's That can be a spread or can be a rest. We'll talk about that. Oh, I just thought one more. Uh, swapping array values. Uh, I don't use this all the time, but sometimes you have two variables that need to be changed, like swapped between the two, right? Like, so uh, if you have like two people that are currently playing a game and somebody is serving and somebody, I don't, I don't do you ever play volleyball? What's the name for someone that's not serving? Receiving? Oh, I guess you'd probably say I, I, there might be a, like an official name for it, but I would have just said receiving. Yeah. Okay. We'll call them server and receiver. And you can have it like, we'll say like let server equals Wes and let receiver equals Scott. And at a certain point, we need to switch those, right? And what we could do in that case is you can swap values by destructuring it. And this might be a little bit, this is, we're trying to code on the podcast here, but you say let square brackets server comma receiver equals to array receiver comma server. And what that <laughs> yeah, will do is yeah. you just, you make a quick array yeah. of the opposite values and then you can just destructure them immediately into it. And they have to be let because you you're reassigning the value there. Uh, huh. But I thought that was a pretty neat way because before you'd have to have a third variable that would like temporarily hold the other person you're and right. then you set yeah. the other one and then it's a bit of a pain. I don't, I very rarely actually run into having to do that though. Yeah. I think that's one of those ones that like when I would hit that, I would look it up and be like, oh, that's clever. And then not use it again for a little while. I think for <laughs> me, the, uh, the, like the, the time I find myself using is this is like when an API brings back data and sometimes like it gives you a success message, maybe first or foremost, and then the data second or whatever. And then maybe some other stuff that you don't care about necessarily. Maybe that just the data comes back that way you could pull that first oh. item out. That's a perfect example is um, object.entries and promise.all. Both of those return. Let, let's talk about promise.all. If you promise.all an array of three promises, one for the weather, one for sports scores, uh, and one for your GitHub, a promise.all is going to return to you when they all resolve. It's going to return to you an array of three pieces of data mm. uh, and you could destructure those three. It's always in the order at which you passed it. So you could just destructure that into weather, sports and GitHub variables immediately. Interesting. Bam. Bam. Man, I have not used. <laughs> I don't use the dot. I don't use the all, all for promises, really. I don't know why I don't. I just don't ever find myself needing to do that. Maybe I will at some point. It's awesome for when you need to wait on multiple pieces of data that are not related. Yeah. So they fire off at the same time. Uh, because if you were to uh, like a sync await it, then then you'd have like this kind of waterfall that's unnecessary. Yeah, it's so weird because like a lot of some of these things, even like race conditions with data and stuff, a lot of that stuff has been totally evaporated for me because of Apollo and GraphQL. And I'm so it's like yeah. it's like the server's handling it. And I just... I mean, I wrote the server code, but still, it's like, I don't have to think about any of that stuff anymore. I just tell it what I want and it gives it to me. <laughs> it's so nice. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to like, it depends on like the type of stuff you're working with, right? Because, oh, another good example of array destructuring is uh, you're working with Canvas. Uh, and if you loop over uh, yeah. Canvas pixels, you get RGBA, mm -hmm. right? So you could destructure them into variables called red, green, blue, alpha, because they are sequential. Nice, man. Flying. Yeah. Flying on these examples. Flying. Yeah. Tons of examples. 
<laughs> uh, all right. Next one we have uh, is number five. Yes. It's is <laughs> function param destructuring. And or maybe this is called function argument destructuring because a param is when you define the function uh, and a argument is when it's called. So function argument destructuring is when you get you have a function and it gives you like a payload. Uh, and this is something that happens in Apollo all the time. The Apollo will give you a payload and inside of that payload, you'll get a data property, you'll get an error property, you'll get a loading property. And then you can also get some like methods inside of there for refetching data and pagination and whatnot. Right. And often you don't want the entire payload. You just need a couple things. You want You want the error state, you want the loading state and you want the data that came back. Right. So when you define the function, you can immediately destructure that payload into three separate variables, data, loading, and error. And then that will, it's much nicer. Same with like props. If you have a stateless functional component in React, mm-hmm. your function gives you props, but you can destruct, sorry, it is param. It's not, it's not argument. Yeah, I was it gonna, is param. I was, I was going to say something, but. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. You take your prop and you don't say like props dot name or props dot age. You can just destructure props into name and age variables directly when you do uh, define your function. Yeah, I use this 24-7. Seriously, 24-7. <laughs> I, maybe it's in every single file that I write uh, because I'm almost never passing in arguments anymore or uh, into functions. Like I never have parameters essentially that aren't named parameters anymore. And maybe not never, but a lot of the time I'm using mm-hmm. the name parameters, which we'll get into in a little bit. And like this just makes that process so easy. Everything is named. Everything comes out named. You don't even worry about there being an object. You don't care about the order anymore. You don't care about the order. It just is so much more organized and, in my opinion, so much more readable. I use this, again, constantly, especially because I'm using Apollo and these render prop functions. It's like the perfect use case for that. A lot of the libraries I use use this stuff that makes it like React Spring is what I use to do all of my animations. React Spring spits out, essentially, you have a transition component or a spring component or whatever, and then you have your render prop, and that function just spits out, essentially, your CSS values that are animating so instead of having well if you're animating all values for one thing you just use the styles object that gets spit out of there and throw it on your component and animates all those styles or if you only want like the x value you could destructure the x throw it in your style specifically and watch it like animate i use this 24 7 yeah um okay so let's get into the next one which i would say this is a, a pretty big this is this is a big one right here that's a biggie. It's a biggie. Yeah. And this is promises. Now, promises are one of those things that if you're a new developer, you might not understand the necessary like the why. Uh, it's only when you run into situations where you have code that needs to run asynchronously that you you run into why I need promises. Or maybe uh, you, you've done a couple callbacks and you're like, I don't see what's so bad about callbacks. Like they're like they say call back hell but this is this is just swell you know (laughs) (laughs) wow yeah it's pretty good i came up with that just now did Uh, you just make that up you bet that should be a sticker that should be a sticker yeah but it's not very long in your dev career before you hit a situation where you have a callback instead of a callback and you have a callback and you're trying to figure out how the heck to get that data out of those callbacks to go do something else with it or something else and and you're just sort of like huh well i gotta return like what do I do with all this this nested functions inside of a function, inside of a function, inside of a function? And that, my friends, is callback hell. Uh, so income <laughs> promises. 
Yes, promises are sort of like an IOU for something that's going to happen in the future. And the reason why we need promises is because if your function will not immediately return a value, either have to, you can't just like that function won't stop, right? Like if you need to, if you have a function that needs to return a value in three seconds or it needs to go to an API and return a value uh, after it's returned from the API, those functions don't wait. I always I say JavaScript waits for no one, right? Because <laughs> it, because of its asynchronous nature. So what you can do is you can return a promise immediately. It's you give them like a little IOU here. I promise I'll, I'll bring you something back at some point, or I'll drop the ball and 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 reject it. And then you can and then you can listen for that promise to the words that we use are resolve. That's when it went right or reject. Something went wrong. And you can then listen on those promises with a dot then. Uh, and what's so nice about that is that you can chain these promises at one level deep. And then you can, if you have a bunch of like sequence sequences that need to happen, you can just kind of keep chaining then, then, then one after another. I have a talk. If you go to YouTube and search for a sync await West Boss. Yeah. If you search a single weight West Boss, and it's the first one that comes up, I believe there's a talk that I did at a conference. It's 15 minutes long. I'm actually pretty proud of that one. Uh, and it, it goes into what promises are, what the ideas are, and then and then further into a single weight. So it'll give you a kind of a good idea of what this really is. Nice. Again, I, I love the the whole like people. Like the word promises can like scare people, but until you think about it as an actual promise, it makes so much sense. Hey, I promise I'm going to do this tomorrow and you're either going to do it or you're not. But you either resolve that promise and everything's all good. Or again, like you said, you reject it and things aren't all good. And then you you know how you can move on from there with a catch, right? Promises are one of those things that they came first in like several different libraries and everyone was using them almost immediately. The libraries got huge and then it got added to JavaScript and everything's been all good since. And it's just been getting better and better. Yeah, it's one of those things that we've had promises for a long time. We had lots of libraries that did promises, but it never really caught on huge until it got into the language because it required oh, actually with the sync await specifically it required like a, a a change to the language, mm -hmm. a new syntax to the language, and as well as with promises, they're all they're all it's interchangeable now. If you just use standard ES6 promises, then the fact that somebody else has a library, all they have to do is return a promise, and you don't have to worry about what type of promise is this. Is it a Bluebird promise or some other library? It's great. Everything works in harmony. Yeah, I you know I think the the biggest use case for this is when you're doing anything that is asynchronous and primarily when we're doing that sort of stuff, it's usually working with like API calls or calls out to another library or another service that's maybe fetching us some data, or performing some action like charging a credit card, and these are probably primarily the the most common like day to day use cases for this. You know what else I use promises for? <laughs> Uh, you could have said for sending money, and that would have been a good transition into FreshBooks. Oh, but we did the FreshBooks one already. I know. So oh, I we got to save this. You know what else I use promises for? Querying databases. Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I I should not be allowed to do these transitions. I thought that was... It was you thought that was pretty good? <laughs> All right. Well, one of our sponsors today is MLab, and MLab hosts your MongoDB database. So if you are doing anything in MongoDB, and specifically myself, I use a node package called Mongoose. And uh, what Mongoose will do is it'll allow you to 
uh, define your models and and define what your data looks like. And then you can have like your customers or your users or your items. And then based off of that, you can then query things. However, those queries aren't going to lock up your entire server while they're happening. So if you query a list of items, the rest of your web server should still be working at the same time, right? So uh, what Mongoose will do is it will return to you a promise and then you can listen for that promise to resolve. You get your data back or reject something went wrong and then you can you can work with the data. So uh, if you're using MongoDB, I highly recommend that you use a service called MLab and they will host your MongoDB database for you. They have free ones that you can use just in development mode and then they have production ready ones that will handle all of your your scaling, all of your performance, all of your security, all of your backups for you. It's great. It just takes like the stress of having to have a database behind your application totally outside of it. So uh, check them out at mlab.com. Sign up for a free one whenever you do your next little uh, project, as well as if you need to to put one into production, check them out for that. Sick. Yeah. One of my very most favorite services. Been using it for a very long time. Totally. What else do we got next? So next we have async await and we've done a whole show on async await. So you can check it out. It's episode number 28. That goes into the ins and outs of how uh, async await works. But async await is just we call it syntactic sugar on top of promises. So promises, the whole idea behind promises of something like an IOU that comes back in the future, it either resolves or reject. But using them can be a little bit clumsy because the way that you listen for a promise to resolve is you chain a dot then on the end. And then if any code needs to happen after the promise resolves, it needs to go inside of your dot then. So it's it's not the greatest syntax. So we have a sync await, which allows us to mark a function as a sync. So you just type the word async in front of the function, or there's a couple different ways to type it in case it's an arrow function or if it's a, a method on an object. And then you have inside of that, you can simply just type the word await, which means asynchronous wait, meaning that it will kind of like pause the function from running while it waits for that promise to resolve or reject itself. And then it will continue on. And the benefit of that is you can say something like const Scott equals await get Scott's info. And if get Scott's info returns a promise, you can await it and wait for it to resolve. And then you can just stick it in the variable. It's probably my favorite thing that's been added to JavaScript. Yeah. Ever. It's same, same here. You know what? Like my very most favorite thing about a sync await is how transparent it is because it's not like it's, it's not like it's hiding itself and you don't know that the function that's returning is returning a promise. Like because you have that await keyword in front, it lets you know instantly that that's going off and doing some async stuff. Right. But at the same time, it, it uses the same syntax that we're used to, to defining variables. Like if I say cons data is equal to await and then database call like that to me is just so much easier to parse, easier to understand easier to read and it just makes so much more sense in the the context of normal javascript than using a dot then or a dot catch and i, I mean i like a, a sync await so much that i almost don't find myself using dot then or dot catch really ever anymore I, I, i'm just such a such all in on a sync await that it, you know that's where it is for me totally 
One cool thing about async functions is that they themselves return a promise. So you can actually await an async function. And then also there's error handling is like one of the ones, one of the things that is not as explicit as mm -hmm. just regular promises are because regular promises was kind of nice where you, at the end of all of your thens, you just put one single catch. And if anything goes wrong anywhere along the line, It'll fall to this catch and you can deal with the promise there. With async await, there's a couple different. There's try catch there. You can use, you can still use dot catch, but also use await on it. So that's, that's one I use. You can use high order functions. We're actually going to do an entire, probably a hasty treat, diving into some of the different ways that you can handle errors because I don't know, it's a pretty interesting space and you can do some pretty neat stuff by depending on where you need to handle the errors. If you need to handle them at call time, if you need to handle them at function definition, if you need to handle them at like a middleware in Express, it's kind of cool. There's some some really neat options that just take away the messiness of having to think about errors in the code that you're writing and just just ship them off somewhere else and deal with them somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm interested in, in learning a little bit of different practices for error handling because I, I do use just try catch and it's, it's fine. It works great and it's nice, uh, but I do feel like it adds a little too much like additional stuff and it adds like another layer deep. I don't know. Yeah, I, I like it, things to look it a little more concise. It also creates a new block. Right. The try catch, like we just talked about constant let our block scoped try catch is a block. Right. So in most cases, that's you don't sweat that. It's not a big deal. You just wrap all of your code in a try catch. But there are some pretty nifty, nifty little things. In my upcoming advanced React course, we specifically use await for the resolved value and dot catch for if something were to go wrong, which is, which is pretty cool. So we, you could just catch and throw up an alert box or throw up a, a modal. Uh, so I, we won't give too much more because that's that's an entire show. And I, I've often want to do just an entire conference talk on async await error handling because I think that there's a lot to learn there. Sick. Absolutely sick. Yes, definitely. All right. What do you got next? Next. Object computed property name. A lot of these things have like really, you know, it's funny because they have scary names. Like all this yeah. stuff, when you looked at the new features in ES6 and you didn't know what they were, like I, I could imagine a lot of new developers looking at that and being like, man, these are some big, big, scary things, right? Because they have big, long, scary names that are full of jargon. This one is not scary at all. It's basically uh, being able to define a property name via a variable in your objects. For a very long time, if you were creating a new object and one of the properties had to be named off of a variable, you had to define the object, then do object dot set of brackets, then the variable name is equal to, and then your value, right? It's almost creating a second declaration because you would create your object, then you'd add that property to that object. And now you can do all that in one fell swoop by adding just simply bracket variable name, a bracket, or not bracket, I mean, they're, they're the flat square brackets, brackets, square brackets. I'm doing Flat I'm, brackets. I'm gesturing over here with some bracket shapes and <laughs> <laughs> forget that this is not a visual medium. And so basically it allows us to do that inside of the object now instead of outside of the object in a second declaration. Uh, again, this this one is uh, Wes mentioned that it's it's handy when used in React. People use it all the time for like a generic uh, input on change where you can set a value in your state based on maybe the input 
name or something like that and the name becomes the property and the value becomes the thing that you're setting the state to uh, this is something that you see all the time in form libraries again anytime you have a generic uh, method that you're creating uh, so yeah this is a really cool one and definitely one that you probably will find yourself using a whole bunch I'm a big fan of the square bracket. Also, when I taught and I showed people the other way before we had this, people would immediately think it's an array because you have your object square brackets yeah. and they'd be like, oh, it's an array. It's square brackets. And you're like, no, it's actually that's how you that's a second way, because if you don't know, there's two ways to access properties on an object. There's the dot notion. So you have my object dot name. Uh, and then you have the square bracket notation, which is my object square brackets quotes name. And those are the exact same thing. Um, and the reason why we have square brackets is because if you don't, if if name in a string is not actually name of a string, but it's in a variable, then you can you can pull it out via that. Sick. Uh, last one we have here before we uh, we break and we've, we've got nine more after this is the object method syntax. So this is just a sort of a nice little syntactic sugar. Uh, if you have a method inside of an object, so const Wes equals curly brackets. So I have an object and I want to put a method on there that says say hi. Normally, what you'd have to do is you say say hi colon and then you have the whole word function and you have your whole function set up there. Now you simply just need to say const Wes equals curly brackets. And then inside of that, we just have say hi parentheses and then you open up your, your function block. So a lot of people confuse that with being an arrow function. It's not. It's a regular function with all of its regular scoping and binding. It's just a sort of a, a shorter syntax to, to be able to do that. I'm a big fan of that one. Yeah, I love how a lot of these features are just making our lives easier. It's like more concise syntax to do things that we do all of the time anyway. So mm -hmm. I think that the, for me, as someone who likes that sort of thing, it's it, these are all just big, nice things. I wonder if you can combine those last two. No, you cannot combine the last one, which is computer property name and the new short syntax uh, method syntax. Mm. Uh, I was hoping you could, but that would be weird. I don't know when you would ever need to use that, but I was just curious. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So that is the first nine uh, coming up next week. We've got spreads, rests, arrow functions, arrow functions and scoping of this default function arguments, named params, modules, classes, as well as a couple things that um, we never use that are, are new to the language, but it just never comes up for me to use it. And Scott, I'd be curious to hear what what things you were maybe excited about, but never ended up using. Tweet us at SyntaxFM. Yeah. Spoilers. Those are some spoilers, Wes. Just spoiled the next episode. <laughs> All right. What about a sick pick today? Sick pick. I don't know. I'm looking around. All right. My sick pick today is going to be a coffee machine. So we talked we talked about coffee and how about like these machines do a pretty decent job at making coffee. We have and I was just like thinking the other day about like the machine that we have. And I I, I ran the stats on our machine and it said that we've poured almost 9000 cups of coffee on it. Nice. And I thought like, <laughs> holy smokes, this thing is has put in work for us. So the coffee machine we have is a Jura Impressa and it's like a it's one of these things where you put the beans in, you put the water in, um, and then when you want a cup of coffee, you just you hit the button and it will pour you a cup of coffee or make you an espresso. And there's a milk frother line on it. We never use that. It's not one where you like pour the milk in. It keeps it cold and stuff. But we got it for like 200 bucks on Craigslist. They're like 3000 bucks new. So the part of what I love to do is just have running searches for very expensive stuff 
that people just want to get rid of quickly on Kijiji. And, and this was one of those. We bought it maybe four or five years ago. We got it for 200 bucks and uh, it's it's been just amazing for us. And uh, we've been we're thinking like if when this thing goes and we're not able to find a used one, like would we want to spend the money on it? And it's it's a tough pill to swallow, but we we just love this thing so much. So it's the Jura Impressa. What we have is called like an E80, but I don't think they even sell it anymore. But you can you can look it up online, see all the different models. Nice. That's pretty sweet that it like tells you how many cups of coffee you've been brewed. So yeah, that, yeah, it's pretty sweet. I found somebody online that was selling like a commercial unit and they're like 15, 10, 15 grand. And it like keeps the milk cold and you can have many different types of beans. And they had like something like 6,000 cups on it and uh, they were still selling it for like six grand. <laughs> nice. Nice. Oh, I have a, a pretty sick, sick pick today. This one is like legitimately sick. So every single year there's what is the largest breakdancing competition for one-on-one as in the 16 best in the world in the breakdancing uh, world here they, they compete in a different city and this year where is it this year it's it's a new city every single year and it's rarely in the u.s so let's see where it is this year it's in zurich so uh, it, it's going to be just amazing and it takes place on september 29th so it's going to happen after or before you listen to this episode but all of the videos will be available so i'll have to make the video links available on youtube or whatever uh, so that you can find these easily these are the 16 best break dancers in the entire world there's uh people from morocco holland the united states venezuela uh, Korea, just all sorts of places competing for essentially the coolest breakdancing competition. I don't know if there's like a, a an old clip. It used to be like super viral where there was this guy who was doing the push-ups without his legs on the ground and stuff like that. It was like a Nike commercial or something. Uh, so that was actually from this competition like 10 years ago. It's basically the most insane stuff you'll ever see. 16 people in a bracket style tournament to compete for the world's best. Awesome. That sounds pretty gnarly. It's super gnarly. Yeah, it, it's amazing. <laughs> All right. What about uh, sh- shameless plugs? I've got some today. I'm going to actually plug some of my conference talks that I've done in the past, because a lot of times you spend like a week or so building a conference talk and you give it, I don't know, four or five times to a couple hundred people at each time. But I'm big on just letting people like everybody get the content. Right. And I've often thought about like just doing my conference talks online for free, but luckily sometimes they are recorded and uh, I'm going to just going to shamelessly plug two of those right now. So my CSS grid talk I did at Laracon is I called it CSS grid in 45 minutes versus the like many hours that my actual course is. And uh, so that's there. That'll be linked in the show notes. And then as well, my async await talk that I did back in December of last year, but still very, very relevant pretty proud of both of those talks so if you are looking for a little bit of extra tasty treats check out those talks yeah that's great 
Definitely, especially related to what we're talking about today. Now, also related about to this episode, I'm editing right now. It should be out by the time you're hearing this. Of course, I'm tentatively titling Better JavaScript. I don't have the title. It's not locked in yet. I'm thinking that it's going to be called Better JavaScript. And the whole purpose of the course is to use some of these new features. So we go over a lot of the features that we even talked about in this episode. But we also go over a lot of other things like how to properly name things and some functional programming concepts like pure functions and why. Why those things are important and why this idea of functional programming isn't some big scary concept but it's actually very simple and some of these things that we can do in our programming to make our javascript in particular less brittle less error prone and more likely to just make you a better developer easily more easily testable all those good things so again i'm tentatively titling this course better javascript it's going to be available at leveluptutorials.com forward slash store Or if you want to become a Level Up Pro and get access to this along with the other 300 plus pro videos available right now, you can sign up for an entire year and then get access to a whole year's worth of pro videos as well as they come out. Save 25% when you sign up for the year at leveluptutorials.com forward slash pro. Thank you so, so much for that. Check it out. It will be out later this month. Sweet. I think that's it for today. Anything else to add? Nothing. Nothing. That's it. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. Head on over to Syntax.fm for a full archive of all of our shows. And don't forget to subscribe in your podcast player or drop a review if you like this show. 